0: Thank you. Every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money talk. Money talk. Good morning. I hope you had a great weekend. Welcome back to Money Talk on Monday, the 4th of March, at the start of the new working week. I have an update for you on the main business and finance stories from across Asia. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's headlines, China's top officials will gather this week for the annual two sessions. It will begin today with the meeting of the 14th National Committee of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, that's the country's top political advisory body. And the 14th National People's Congress, which is China's parliament, will meet from the 5th of March. At the MPC meeting, Premier Li Chang will deliver the government's work report, which includes the announcement of a country-level GDP growth target. Economists are expecting officials to set a growth target of around 5%, the same as in 2023. Ahead of the two sessions, the latest data from the National Bureau of Statistics shows further signs of sluggish economic momentum in China as factory activity slowed. The official MBS manufacturing PMI edged down to 49.1% February from 49.2 in the previous month, in line with market forecasts. And it was the fifth straight month of contraction in factory activity. But the official figures from the MBS on Friday were at odds with a private survey that signalled factory activity expanded. The Caixin China General Manufacturing PMI rose to 50.9 in February from 50.8 in the prior two months, beating Economist's forecasts. Hong Kong overnight's visitor spending dropped 37% during 2023 and will fall further to 2019 levels, the tourism board said on Friday. The board said per capita spending by the group hits 9,700 Hong Kong dollars in the first quarter, but steadily declined to 6,100 Hong Kong dollars by the end of the year. That's a 37% drop that it attributed to the combined effects of a strong Hong Kong dollar, uncertain economic conditions, and the change in tourists' behaviour. And Indian stocks hit new all-time highs on Friday, buoyed by strong quarterly GDP data released on Thursday evening. Fourth quarter GDP growth was 8.4% year-on-year, well ahead of the 6.6% median forecast from economists. And a manufacturing survey published on Friday also showed factory activity in the country grew slightly more than expected. The BSE Sensex index increased 61 points, or 0.1%, to an all-time high of 73,800. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management and Michelle Lam, Greater China Economist at Societe Generale Corporate and Investment Banking. And providing a view from mainland China will be Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. And of course, I'd love to hear from you. If you want to get in touch with any questions or comments, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Peter Lewis Wall Street's major stock gauges both closed at fresh records on Friday for a second straight week of gains. The Nasdaq Composite ended Friday up 1.1% as a record high of 16,275. The S&P 500 added 0.8% to a new all-time high of 5,137. The Dow climbed 91 points or 0.2% to 39,087. On a weekly basis, the S&P 500 notched a 0.9% advance, while the Nasdaq is up 1.7%. And the two indices recorded their seventh positive week out of the last eight. The 30 stock Dow was the laggard, down 0.1% for the week. NVIDIA's market value closed on Friday above $2 trillion for the first time. The chipmaker's shares rose 4%, giving it a valuation of $2.057 trillion. And its share price has now climbed over 66% since the start of the year and added about $830 billion U.S. dollars in market cap. Bond prices rallied, sending yields lower after US manufacturing PMI figures were weaker than forecast yields on rate sensitive 2-year treas- treasuries slid 11 basis points to 4.53% while those on benchmark 10-year notes dropped 6 basis points to 4.19%. That's the lowest in more than 2 weeks. The dollar index extended its decline to fall 0.2% below 104 as investors digested a slew of poor economic data out of the US. The yen weakened 0.1% against the dollar to 150.11 yen as Bank of Japan Governor, Casio Ueda, said it was too early to conclude that sustained achievement of the central bank's 2% targets can be foreseen, stressing the need to scrutinise more data on the wage outlook. The offshore yuan slipped towards 7.21 renminbi per dollar, pairing gains from recent sessions as investors reacted to the latest manufacturing activity reports in China. Gold rose 1.9% Friday to $2,084 an ounce, and for the week it was up 2.4%, that's its Second straight week of gains. Brent crude oil rose 2.4% last week amid speculation that OPEC would extend supply cuts. And in fact, it announced over the weekend that it will do exactly that. May Brent futures settled at $83.55 a barrel. Bitcoin soared up to just shy of $64,000 last week before ending the week over 21% higher at $61,970. And Hong Kong and mainland Chinese stock markets advanced Friday as investors reacted To mixed PMI figures in China, the Hang Seng Index reversed earlier losses of as much as 1.2% to close 78 points, or half a percent higher, at 16,589. The city's benchmark index fell 0.8% for the week, the first drop in four weeks. On the mainland, the CSI 300 rose 0.6%, and the CSI 300 Index has risen 11% since hitting a low in early February, buoyed by direct buying by the nation's sovereign wealth fund and additional curbs on short selling. And P- Hong Kong Hang Seng Index projected to open about 13 points higher this morning, just above 16,600. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter- Let's start with our guests and welcome Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Wong Asset Management. Morning to you, Alex. Morning, Peter. And also with us is Michelle Lam, who is Greater China Economist at Societe Generale Corporate and Investment Banking. Morning, Michelle. Hey, good morning. So China's top officials are going to gather this week for the annual two sessions. It begins today with the meeting of the 40th National Committee of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference. That's an advisory body, the top political advisory body. And then the country's parliament, the National People's Congress, will meet for its annual meeting from tomorrow. Premier Li Chang is expected to deliver the government work report tomorrow, and that includes the announcement of a country-level GDP growth target, And economic expecting officials to set a growth target of around 5%, which is the same as last year. And the report will also set targets for monetary and fiscal policies this year. Um, Alex, from an investment perspective, what do you hope to see from the two sessions?
1: Actually, not too much. I think uh, uh, they probably need to do something on the monetary side. Uh, But for the growth target, I don't think that it will matter too much because uh, we have uh, been seeing... That kind of goal for many years, and and the stock market actually is still not doing too much. I think, uh, uh, first of all, we would like to see something from the monetary side. Another thing would be the um, uh, focus on the private sector, I think. I think that people still need to see uh, their attitudes uh, to change towards the private sector. I think that probably would be the key for long term.
0: And, and what sort of signal would make you happy about the private sector? What, what in particular um, would give you confidence, uh, more confidence in the markets?
1: Actually, I think uh, not too much. Uh, they probably have been saying what they need to say. And I think uh, it will take time to heal. But uh, recently, we have uh, some, some better developments. Uh, at least we have uh, Trip.com and NetEase are doing okay. So I, uh, probably uh, they cannot do too much uh, because uh, the confidence actually is uh, is lost uh, uh, two three years ago, and it will take quite some time to recover. But uh, in the meantime, at least uh, we should not see further
0: damages. Mm. And and you want to see basically the government put more faith in the private sector and and allow businesses to run their businesses with with less interference, presumably
1: yeah i think uh the key would be on profits i think they would let them do the business but um, the key is uh, they they can take a huge profit so recently we have a a very um a very um top movie coming out from china but uh people are criticizing the 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 directors and and ask her to Donate, so I think that, that is uh, the 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 bad thing uh, which are uh, hurting investor confidence because the social sentiment is uh, towards the rich. I think uh, that is not a good thing to 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 be seen.
0: Mm, we we saw that with some big companies last year, didn't we? Like Tencent, where in effect they had to donate their whole year's profits to various social uh, priorities that the government had, had outlined.
1: Yeah, right. I think uh, uh, business-wise, actually, they probably would be still um, dominating in their respective uh, sector. But uh, the key is uh, whether they would be allowed to make huge profits. I think that is the the the, the, the key issue uh, in China right now.
0: OK, Michelle, what about on the economic side? What should we be looking out for from an economic perspective and what would you like to see?
2: So, from an economic perspective, the most important thing to watch is the growth target, which um, I think everybody right now is expecting it to be around five percent. Given the the signal from the December Central Economic Work Conference, and also you saw from the the, the thirty one provinces' uh, regional GDP target, so I think it will be they are pretty much in line with the. Uh, GDP target around 5%, Um, and it's actually an ambitious target Given that you look at the 2022-2023 growth over the last two years, they only average about 4%, so having a 5% clearly means that they need to do more on the policy easing. And then the question is whether we will really get there. You look at um, a lot of people's GDP forecasts, including ourselves, we're expecting a GDP below 5%. So clearly they need to surprise on the policy easing fronts. So then the easing is about the monetary easing, the fiscal easing. And what I'll be watching is really the fiscal budgets. Um, and there are a lot of, um, I think, speculations about what the government's going to announce about the, the, the on-budget deficits, the special CGP issues uh, and the special LGB issues. So all these numbers um, adding up together whether they are enough to really support growth to 5%. Um, and, um, and I think uh, given what we've seen uh, since the turn of the year right like the the PBOC is clearly doing more and over the last weekend we also um, see presidency announcing the um, the possibility of having some consumption stimulus to encourage people to replace the home appliances so i think if i have to guess then probably they would um, if they want to show up more market confidence then that could be the value for them to announce a, a more expansion with fiscal budgets to try to get growth to So I think the the message here is um, even if we don't um, uh, have uh, a strong enough easing signal right now, given that the government rarely misses the GDP target, so they should be surprising to the upside on the easing funds eventually throughout the year to get growth there. and monetary policy funds, I think it's uh, yeah they're going going to be more supportive, like what the PBOC has done at the start mm-hmm. of the year, which is the um, more more easing, like lowering the real interest rates to encourage um, the people to the to to buy more houses. But uh, we know that it's going to be difficult. It's going to be less effective compared to what they did in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the structural issues and the lack of uh, confidence and expectations over over house prices and the overall economy is still pretty weak. And um, on the reform funds, um, I'm actually not expecting too much because um, you know the Fed planning, which is usually the value uh, for them to discuss the reform direction um, in the years ahead. Um, But we really haven't got the days announced yet on the Fed planning. So maybe um, I think on the NPC tomorrow, definitely a lot of – a lot of references into how China should boost the long-term productivity like uh, AI, support the private sector. But uh, in terms of the actual um, relevant measures for, for us to really gauge what the policymakers plan to do, maybe not much of a signal.
0: Alex, even if they do announce a 5% growth target, it's going to be harder to achieve this year, isn't it? Because of that base effect, you're comparing it with a year earlier when we had the coronavirus pandemic. So last year's growth was sort of flattered. They've got a real challenge, haven't they, to try and meet a 5% growth target? No, of course.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah,
0: of course. And, and sh- can we expect a sort of um, a, a sort of big bazooka of stimulus measures that are going to try and get them there, or is it because to date they've been rather reluctant to do that, haven't they?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, every everybody right now in the market sort of uh, already know that the policymakers are not going to do big bazooka It's more about incremental easing. Like, but if you if you look at what. Like how much incremental easing they've done, they've done a little bit of here, a little bit of there. Adding up all these together, I think um, it could be we, we could see a high chance of them hitting five percent, even though it is quite a quite an ambitious target.
0: Alex,
1: yeah, I congr- Actually, I think uh, uh, if China want to achieve that target, they they, they can always do that. But uh, as an investor, I don't think that, that would matter too much because uh, we we are more focused on the quality of the growth instead of the quantity of the growth.
0: And, and that's, in, in effect, what uh, President Xi has been saying, hasn't it? This is all about uh, quality rather than quantity. But that sort of suggests that maybe the economy is not necessarily the top priority for the government or hasn't been up to now. But do you think we're going to see signs that maybe that's changed?
1: I think for him, I think uh, the, the term quality means uh, um, um, those uh, sectors with uh sustain uh sustainable growth. I think that that, that means that uh, EV or renewable energies instead of uh, uh that kind of old things like infrastructure. I think that means that there is this uh, interpretation of quality. But for us, uh, for quality, I means a sustainable profitability. Or oh, so so they would be allowed to to make uh further uh, uh higher profits in the long term. So that 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 is a little bit difference in terms of uh quality yeah. uh, from government standpoint and from the investor's standpoint. For, for him, I think uh, probably we will still see continued uh, stress on uh, uh, sectors like uh, EV or, or, or renewable energies, those kind of things, or AI. But I think uh, people like us would need to see whether uh, they would be allowed to, to, to make more, uh, more profits. Uh, and, and I think uh, that is the key issue uh, in the market.
0: This is is still going to be a very interventionist government, isn't it? It's going to pick sectors uh, that it likes. It talks about what they call new productive forces. So I I presume that means sectors in in the technology area like EVs, like batteries. But but once again, there are going to be certain sectors uh, that the government's going to want to promote. And that's where we're going to see the efforts directed towards.
1: Yeah. And also um, the the bad thing is uh, we would have uh, overcapacity in those uh, sectors. So we are likely to see uh EUs and and batteries uh our favor uh from the market quite soon i think because uh competition actually would become more fierce and then the profit margin actually would come down even though um that's not from the government intervention side but that that is uh uh encourage, uh, encourage over capacity. so i think uh uh, that would be the key issue in invest- investing in China because government promotes certain sectors and that would become overcrowded. uh And then profit margins uh, would come down because of competition. So that is uh, what happened in the solar panel. I think uh, that uh, is not very likely to repeat in other sectors.
0: This is going to be a big issue, isn't it, Michelle, that um, some of these sectors that China is investing in are already um, overproducing, so they want to export that overproduction abroad. But there's a lot of resistance now from the US, from the EU to, to buy um, this, this overproduction and to absorb that overproduction overprodu- in areas like solar panels, EVs, batteries. Is this something, do you think, that's going to be addressed?
2: Uh, yes, I think this is the the key issue, right? They, in the past, when the, when there's growth pressure, then the way they choose is to uh, stimulate the economy, fire the investments, and then you have in 2015, 16, all the overcapacity issues are actually um, in the upstream sectors like the steel, mining. But now it um, it is uh, concentrated in the tech sector, which is the NEVs. And renewable energy, and to some extent i think the the maturing process in the semiconductor industry as well um, so that at the same time you see the the exports the surplus of China actually has been growing over the last couple of years because of pandemic, also because of these uh, the China climbing up the value chain in these new energy sectors and inviting more trade tensions. Um, given that uh, after the trade war, we clearly know that, uh, it's, um, that the, risk, the risking of China is uh, probably going to be an ongoing theme, that, as we could see in the Western economies. So I think um, the, the question here is the, whether China is going to devalue the currency um, and um, and I think um, in the in, when speaking to investors, I think a lot of people are also pretty concerned about um, what's going to happen um, towards the end of the year uh, when the U.S. election, because there's going, there's still a lot of uncertainty. We don't know whether it's Biden or Trump. And Trump's been talking about uh, slapping a uh, 60 of an uh, import tariff. So what could that mean for, for China exports? Um, does that mean China, the Chinese policymakers are going to devalue the currency um, to to offset the shock? and um, Or does that mean they're just going to um, take the hits? And I think um, this definitely is uh, the, a very top risk um, about investing in China for this year.
0: Alex, if, if these sectors are going to get boosted, the, the thing is, we've still got the real estate sector um, in decline. The latest data shows prices still sliding further. Is there going to be enough growth elsewhere to make up for what's happening to the real real estate sector?
1: I don't think the real estate sector will, will recover. I think that there is a repeat of Japan scenario, and and because China actually is at already overproduced in the past, so uh, the the real estate sector will still be still be bad. I think because uh, uh, people actually know that the prices will not be going up, so they would can always delay the buying. Decisions. So I think uh, the US they actually would still be there.
0: And can we expect some support measures, market interventions for the property developer developers?
1: I think that it would be very difficult. I think uh, the best thing we could see probably would be some consolidation. So uh, some uh, healthier developers actually probably would buy up uh, those uh, troubled developers' uh, assets or even the company at a discount. Uh, That, I think, uh, would uh, help a little bit, but I don't think uh, that would be too helpful because uh, uh, there actually are a lot of uh, inventories in the market right now. So I think uh, that would take very long time to digest. And also people change their perception of the market already. So they probably would uh, seek uh, something else as, uh, as, 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 as the way to park their money instead of a real estate.
0: Do you, do you think the three red lines policy, that's the thing that's really caused the problem in the real estate sector? Do you think that will get quietly dropped?
1: I don't think so. I think uh, probably they would uh, uh, identify some um, uh, healthy uh, developers for banks to land. I think uh, that, that kind of a white list probably would uh, be the solution. Uh, and and the, the, the trouble developers actually are in trouble, uh, whether they would be red uh, lines or not. But so I think uh the, the problem probably is the over leverage uh um uh, happened in the past. So um they need they need to ratify it uh, anyway. So I think uh, that is not the real issue of those uh, web
0: lines. Mm. Michelle, what what are you expecting in terms of the property sector and potential support measures, market interventions that the government might do?
2: Um I think it um actually the policymakers have been doing a lot of things so may not necessarily signal it uh, at the npc which is i think they're going to repeat the overall uh, tone which is to um probably they w- they will not talk about the housing for living for speculation anymore but we all know that uh, for the long term they want to develop the property market uh into two markets which is one that's for commercial purposes which is like if people for the people who have uh, earned a decent amount of income if they want to climb up uh the uh, the housing ladder, could, there is a commercial market for them. But for the people who are the low-income group or the migrants who, um, yeah, who who used to live in rural area or the low-tier cities, if they work in the the top-tier cities and then they want to avoid the housing, the government should uh, play a, a role to make sure that these people have a place to live in as well. So provide them with the the rental housing or the affordable housing for buying. So I think um, these are the objectives that would what the government is trying to do um, in the policy announcement, the document that they um, they released uh, late last year. Um, so in terms of the, the kind of slowdown to, to, in terms of the measures uh, to support it, I think um, you look at the PBOC long-term lending, they've already done the 500 billion expansion to uh, provide some funding support uh, to the urban village redevelopment and social housing redevelopments. So I think, um, they are still going to keep doing it. Um, so I think the challenge here is also to gauge the exact amount because um, the rate that this is being done is that uh, it's not done via a fiscal budget, it's done via the PBOC sort of like quasi-fiscal easing. So you need to track the number really every month to to know how much stimulus is being put in place in the system, which I think in some cases also allow them more flexibility. Like uh, if the growth disappoints um, in say, the at the beginning of the year, that they could do a bit more in the second half of the year to Make sure that they hit the uh, growth target eventually in the kind of like, support to the property investments. Um, so, that's I think that's that on the investment funds. And then on the, on the demand front, I think they've already been doing a lot. Um, but like you see a lot of uh, uh, the, the top-tier cities, they are kind of relaxing the purchase restrictions and then cutting the mortgage interest rates. You see the, the, the five-year LPL cuts a couple of weeks ago to try to um, yeah, encourage people to buy the houses. But um, I think this is still quite difficult to see a turnaround um, here because I mentioned the Um, The sentiment is still pretty weak, right? And the structural uh, demand that you see, the demographics, uh, like long-term picture. I think um, um, the government definitely needs to do more, uh, but maybe we still see some downside risk in in terms of the property sales, uh, investments. I think this year is going to be still seeing some contraction, maybe before some stabilization in 2025.
0: Alex, if the real estate market is still going to be in a, in a slump um, this year, and also investment uh, is, is not looking great either, then presumably domestic consumption is going to be the priority, isn't it, to try and drive growth and achieve that 5% growth target? What, what could they do to try and uh, increase consumption, boost demand? What sort of support maybe for, for households could we be looking out for?
1: Oh, that would be uh, probably a bit difficult. Um, The easiest thing, actually, is to raise the wages uh, for governments, uh, officials, uh, government government workers. I think at least so. um, That's the fastest way, I think, probably. But um, uh, I think uh, it would be a little bit difficult. Probably they would can. out some consumption vouchers that that is another way probably could be the fastest way uh, i think uh, overall it's it is uh, uh, uh quite difficult for them to boost the consumption uh because right now uh uh the people actually are, are knowing that uh, the economy is in bad shape and then the employment situation, I don't think we improve too much. So uh, there was a very difficult task to make.
0: It's really been a non-starter in recent years, hasn't it? These direct transfers to, to households, China hasn't really uh, wanted to do it. But has it got to really try and come up with something now? Because that's going to be the key driver, isn't it? Can Domestic consumption.
1: Yeah, I think uh, they probably need to do something on that. Probably they would they can be try they they can try this actually some 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 provinces some some local governments actually have already tried that uh, in the past so I think uh, that could be something to do yeah
0: Michelle what what do you think we should look out for on the domestic consumption side that clearly has got to be a priority hasn't it for the uh, for economic growth this year.
2: Yeah. So, so two weeks ago, they already mentioned that they want to stimulate the uh, replacement demand, maybe for the home appliances. So we haven't got the announcement yet. Maybe the, the MPC could be the value for them to mention some uh, measures. Um, so look at what they did in 2009, which is the gap the central government, um, providing uh, 10% of subsidies. Um, to the households when they replace a certain the items of home appliances. So they could be doing similar things, um, which is, um, and, and I think that's a pretty strong signal, right? Because since mid last year, but uh, all the economists have been saying that it is key to support consumption, not focusing on investment. So finally, finally, we are seeing some kind of, uh, uh a change, uh, in the, in the policy mindsets. Uh, but I think it's still going to be short of a uh, big bank stimulus. So, so, the um, So not really like providing the consumption coupons that we say we we saw in Hong Kong or in Macau. So still a pretty uh, gradual measure.
0: And Alex, what do you make of the, uh, the PMI data that we saw on Friday? The official PMI from the MBS was down to 49.1, the fifth straight month now of contraction in factory activity. What, what was the data telling us? It's a bit difficult to compare, isn't it, with last year because Chinese New Year was in January last year. But if you take the two months together, what's the state of the economy from this PMI data?
1: No, oh, actually, I don't pay too much attention to the PMI data in China. I think uh, that is uh, just a form of survey. And then, you know, the government want to um, be looking good. So I think uh, people probably may, may not be too honest in re- uh, answering mm-hmm. that kind of survey. So so I, I'm not too much paying too much attention on those kind of things, actually.
0: Any bright spots at all, do you think, in, in the data?
1: At least uh, surfacing, I think, would be OK, Uh Probably because uh, this Chinese New Year is uh is quite good in China in terms of retail sales, so mm. um, that probably is helping the sentiment a little bit. Yeah,
0: Michelle, what were your thoughts on the uh, on the data, the PMI data that we saw on Friday?
2: Um, so the manufacturing was uh, was. Was down, but I think that's because of the, the, um, the seasonal factors because February, the, we have the CNY holiday, so the, the, the work activity probably slow a little bit. But still, I think that it suggests that the, the policy easing that's coming through is still pretty slow. And um, so the manufacturing is somewhat disappointing, but the services was a bright spot because you have, again, have the CNY holiday, which helped to boost the uh, traveling momentum of the consumers. But I think the question here is, is it, go- is it going to be sustainable? because you could be seeing a kind of changing pattern that the people now prefer to spend more on services because of the years of lockdowns, and then they may cut back the, on the spending uh, in the normal months. So uh, in terms of the uh, spending on the goods, you could be seeing like still pretty weak momentum because of these uh, changing patterns. So the, the question is the sustainability, which uh, I think is going to be difficult given the, what we are seeing on the housing.
0: And, and the smaller companies did better, didn't they? If we look at the Kaishin, the private survey of, of smaller manufacturers, private manufacturers, that, that was sort of in quite stark contrast to the, the official survey.
2: I think could be first, the uh, SME is more ex- exposed to external demand. So external demand, uh, I think will be doing better compared to domestic demand. Uh, that's the first factor. The second is the SOEs could be under the deleveraging pressure of the local governments which is why we're
0: seeing a weaker, weaker picture. Alex, let me get your thoughts on the markets. Um, it looks like Chinese stock markets and Hong Kong markets have stabilised since the, uh, the New Year um, holiday. Mm. The CSI 300 is now actually positive uh, in, in 2024. Do you think the worst is behind us now in terms of the market decline? And, and there are uh, reasons to be optimistic going forward?
1: I think at least uh, we have seen a bottom for, um, for now. I think uh, that bottom probably would hold for some time. We are likely to see the market to be ranging, I think. Uh, people probably still uh, lack the confidence to push it uh, uh, too much higher from here. But uh, overall, I think uh, we have stabilized and we could be optimistic that we have could see some upside in the short term at least. I think uh, people... Would refrain from uh, sorting the, the market too aggressively now because uh, overseas markets are dominated by the pool right now. And I think uh, people probably reckon in Hong Kong, may pay catch up later on. So I think uh, short sellings actually would be subsided here. And then that would make the market a little bit easier to to, to, to go further higher just because of our short covering, I think. And then uh, things are improving a little bit. And then um, the wealth in effect from investing in, in, in other parts of the world actually would also affect Hong Kong a little bit. Because if people in Hong Kong are investing heavily in, the, in overseas assets, actually they would be better off right now. And then they probably would spend a little bit more uh, here and there. So I think uh, overall, uh, we are improving.
0: So the fact that markets like India are at record highs, uh, Japan is at record highs, uh, that's helping Hong Kong as well.
1: Yeah, at least uh, we we will not see too much sort sellers uh, here Hmm. because uh, people know that um, uh, the odds for sorting the market actually is is not too good. And then uh, Hong Kong actually is a little bit too low as compared to other markets. So I think uh, that's why they are helping us actually.
0: We should mention the, the Alex Index, which uh, you created back in, I think it was November, October, November last year, of uh, three Hong Kong stocks to outperform because they were stable, HSBC, uh, CNOOC, China, uh, China Mobile. Um, how are they doing? They seem to have held up pretty well, don't they?
1: Yeah, actually, they work they, they on a positive uh, return right now uh, during the market downturn. Actually, the market was down around, I think uh, – Seven to eight percent as of today uh, when we launched the index, and um, the the index actually was uh, is uh, is up. I think up uh, by four or five percent. Uh, so we outperform a lot, and I think that that will probably will continue. HSBC actually is uh, is lagging behind other European banks. Actually, if you look at European banks, they are in a bull market right now. They are making mm-hmm. new highs. I think that people welcome their valuation is too low. So I think that would help accessibility uh, uh, a little bit, even though uh, we like uh, other banks in, the, in Europe more right now. And 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 China Mobile and CNO, I think, uh, will still outperform because uh, people would feel safer to invest in those uh, high-quality uh, SOE. So I think uh, overall, the index will still outperform the Hang Seng.
0: Mm. Michelle, how much has the, the decline in the market that we saw at the beginning of this year, until recently anyway, sort of damaged economic performance? Has it hit overall sentiment in terms of consumers going out to spend and the economic performance overall?
2: So the uh, the stock market in terms of the household wealth is only 10%. Um, so it's much less significant compared to the housing so I would say that probably affected the, the 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 rich spending sentiment a little bit along with the decline in the house prices, but not probably not very significant. Um and you see in two thousand two thousand fifteen, 2015, the kind of like volatility. At the end of the day, like for people to get back the, the confidence is really the, the house prices that uh, is driving the consumption up. So I think economic impact are uh, limited um on on that, but Going ahead, I think uh, you could say that I agree with what Alex did, is that uh, it may take the uh it may be difficult to see a lot more uh, downside downside news uh, coming to the market, which like uh, you will see the kind of like bottoming. But in terms of whether um, the, the market would turn up, I think that there the are a couple of issues here. First is whether China is out of deflation, which um, you, I talk about the cyclical momentum uh, with the, the more ambitious uh, growth target for this year, more easing. Probably the cyclical momentum could be better, but, uh, but at the same time, they're still doing a lot of investments, which are um, increasing the overcapacity problem, which is the negative for the deflation hmm. so, or negative for inflation. And the second is the house prices. Uh, There's still downside risk. Uh, when you talk about uh, the disinflation momentum, if the prices are going down, then people are still very negative about consumption. So that's still mean that the deflationary problem are not, not yet resolved. So it will, it's going to take a long time, I think, um, for us to, to really get out of this deflationary mindset. So mm-hmm. in short, um, not, not much upside yet still in, the, in, the, in this year. Yeah.
0: Alex, let me ask you finally, there's been a lot of focus on quant funds, hasn't there, operating in China and the big crackdown oh. that we've seen on them. Is it really fair to blame quant funds for the, the decline? Did they have a, uh, any role to play in that?
1: Of course not. I think uh, the key issue is in fundamental. So, um, like Michelle pointed out, the uh, deflation and demographic situation, and also the debt levels uh, of those listed companies. I think that, that are the key fundamental issues. Companies just doing their things, hmm. uh, and and I think uh, the crackdown actually is uh, is uh, negative because uh, when you know that uh, your actions uh, probably would be questioned uh, in the long term. Uh, or 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 sometimes later, then probably you will refrain from investing in China. So I think uh, that uh, is the real uh, long-term damage of those actions. So uh, that is actually uh, bad things uh, to 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 put um, the blame on them and then uh, try to investigate the actions. So I think uh, that would uh what uh, um um uh scare the uh, potential investor in China.
0: It seems like the authorities don't want to do anything or allow anything to go on in the market that could produce volatility. Um, They they just see things like uh, quant funds as being too risky for them, rightly or wrongly, and therefore presumably any strategy now uh, that could likely likely promote volatility, they're going to clamp down on.
2: Yeah, right.
1: So that probably will make uh, Asia underperform the uh, Hong Kong exchange market because uh, at least in Hong Kong, uh, the, the, the trading actions are, would still be okay. Mm. So, uh, that exactly is a, is, a, is a very bad thing for the Asia market. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you both very much. Great to hear your thoughts this morning and have a good week. You heard there Alex Wong, who is director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, Michelle Lam, who is greater China economist at Societe Generale Corporate and Investment Banking. <laughs> I'm joined now by Ben Cavender, who is managing director of the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. Morning, Ben. Good morning. So the two sessions is going to kick off um, today. What should we expect from it, and what are you hoping to to see from it?
3: Well, I, I think what we're probably going to see out of this is some direction on what the government will be planning for economic growth targets this year, and I think in that regard. They'll probably come up with some numbers that maybe on the face of things seem conservative, but in reality, maybe a little bit of a challenge to meet. So probably I would expect that we hear a GDP target of somewhere in the realm of 5% uh, this year, or maybe a little bit under that. Um, And then maybe some sort of general directives on what will be done to help stimulate the economy, though frankly speaking, I don't think we'll hear – much detail coming out of uh, these particular meetings. Typically, it's it's sort of delivered in vague terms.
0: If we get this 5% growth target, which is what a lot of people are expecting, is that really achievable? Because we've lost the base effect, the benefit of the base effect, haven't we, where we were comparing it with the lockdown period. So, that's going to make it challenging. China's in deflation. Uh, global growth is slowing. Its export markets um, are, are quite weak, and it's got all sorts of geopolitical challenges. Can it really be expected to achieve five percent?
3: Uh, you know, I, I have to say it's probably going to be a little bit challenging for for them to to pull that growth target off without fairly meaningful stimulus. Uh, you know, I think the reality, if you look at the market right now, here is that consumers are still quite conservative. They are starting to spend, but they're not particularly upbeat about the economy. Um, I think the real estate market is still. Um, very much in dire straits, and it 's I think one of the things people are looking for out of this this meeting is will there be enough additional support for the real estate sector and for uh, local governments to really sort of stabilize things? Uh, it seems like China has been hoping that a lot of c- the coming growth will be derived from exports, and to that end there's been quite a bit of support for manufacturing here. But I think the reality is, is that a lot of international markets that China is hoping will soak up these exports are, are going to really be pushing back quite hard this year.
0: So, it's going to be a challenge. Are we going to see some monetary policy movements to help try and support that in, in terms of maybe cuts in the R or um, cuts in interest rates, or maybe some support for buyers in the housing market to ease uh, loan, loan value ratios?
3: Yeah, I mean I think that there are things that we could and probably should see happening. Whether or not they happen is another question. Um, I, I do think the government will probably take somewhat of a targeted approach approach versus you know, massive, large-scale stimulus, I think the key thing really is how do you restore consumer confidence both in the property market and overall. And so, yes, we might see um, lower interest rates, lower, lower mortgage rates, reduction in um, the amount of down payment that, that people have to make, possibly even maybe uh, lowering of restrictions on hookahs and, and making it easier for people to move or to purchase properties in different cities, though that starts getting very complicated very quickly if the government's looking at sort of national stability versus seeing growth return in some areas and not others. Uh, So I I think that there will be tools in play. I think you'll see the government use... uh, you know, discretionary bonds to maybe do development in some urban areas that they feel need a lift. But I don't think we're going to see anything like we saw in in 2008.
0: So this is going to be fairly modest if we do get any stimulus. And do you think we're going to see some details? Because that's what's spooked investors up to now, isn't it? There's been a lot of talk, but not an awful lot of detail about what these policies are actually going to entail, how they're going to be delivered.
3: Yeah, I mean there was some expectation that we would have had meetings sort of at the end of 2023 that would have laid out some details. And we didn't really get those meetings, which which I think signaled to a lot of people that maybe there was infighting going on, that nobody could come to consensus on what to do. Um, typically, the the events that we're having this week don't really go into that much detail and the, the detail kind of comes later. Um, but but we'll see. I mean I think it would, it would make sense for them to share details. Or some kind of comprehensive plan, just because from a, I think a lot of the problem China right now has really is a psychology problem and, and people just wanting to know what the plan is. I just am not sure we're going to get it.
0: Mm, I'm wondering where the, the growth is going to come from because. If they're not prepared to bail out the real estate sector, and, and the signs have been in the past that they don't really want to drop things like the, the three red lines policy or, or bail out private property developers, where, where's the growth going to come to make up for that um, you know, real estate sector? Is it, it's, and as you say, it's going to be hard to rely just on manufacturing, presumably, because um, foreign, uh, foreign export markets don't want to absorb all that overcapacity.
3: Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I think looking at real estate, they have seemed to have taken a hard line on the idea that they don't really want real estate speculation to be happening anymore, that if the top 10% of the population that own a lot of the real estate take a financial hit over uh, a few years, that that's actually in service to the greater good and the, the larger population more broadly. Um, and so far, they've stuck to that. It's just that right now, that really handicaps local governments with the you know the debt loads that they have, and with with you know very little income coming in, so one thinks maybe there does need to be more support than maybe the government originally wanted. Um, as to where else they can get the growth from, it's difficult. We've seen this this massive boom in manufacturing, certainly with EVs. It's not really sustainable over the midterm or the long term. Um, I think we'll see probably a lot of investment in technology infrastructure. So, more investment into things like 5G networks around the country, um, that kind of thing. But that's just not enough to to balance everything out.
0: And presumably, also, they've got to do something about um, boosting um, consumer confidence and and domestic consumption. Do you think we can see anything in terms of support for households that might help them?
3: Yeah. I mean, this is something that I think the policy planners here have always been very leery of. I think just from a from a, a mindset perspective, they really don't like the idea of what essentially amounts to direct payments to consumers. They would much rather have it come indirectly. So stabilize the property market, therefore people spend more, um, that kind of thing. And since, since we're a little bit worried about getting that, the question is, what else can they do? Um, one thing they could certainly do would be to uh, look at the health care Uh, industry and and healthcare coverage in China and say, okay, how can we um, better finance that to give people better access, to make them feel more comfortable going out and spending because they're not saving for a health crisis? That would be certainly something they could do, but again, I just I don't know how much or if we'll see it.
0: Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because China does have the tools if it wants to, um, to to try and boost economic growth. It just seems rather reluctant to go and deploy those tools, whether they be fiscal or or monetary or otherwise.
3: Yeah, the, I mean the 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 path is there. The tools are there. I think it's this this question of. How far do you go, and what's the downside of, of pushing that hard? And I think there's a lot of concern that if there's too much stimulus, there's going to be still too much downward pressure on uh, the RMB. That there's going to be too much pressure for outflow of of currency from China. And and I think that's that's kind of put them in a in a cautious position. But then you also don't want to do too little. And so I think that they have an idea of how to kind of balance that that line between restoring growth and and over stimulus, um, but they may be on the conservative end of what needs to happen.
0: And does the data, the PMI data that came out on Friday, does that put any added pressure on policymakers to try and do something? Because it was a bit of a mixed bag, wasn't it? The official manufacturing was still in contraction, but the private Kaishin survey um, showed some growth and non-manufacturing is is also showing growth. But what what sort of pressure does that add to policymakers to go and come out with some sort of pull, some sort of rabbit out of the hat?
3: yeah I think it sort of creates a very very muddy picture right now because it's sort of difficult to assess um you know how good or bad things really are, which makes it hard to then say very clearly this is what the policy needs to be um, I mean I can say certainly from a from a, just a feeling check doing interviews with consumers and business owners right now here uh, the overall mood is still somewhat pessimistic I would say, and so there there clearly needs to be support um I think the the p m i numbers just don't really. Don't really help clarify one way or another, and I think, to some extent, the you know a small contraction or things kind of staying the same was sort of really what was expected anyway.
0: And what about the markets? We've seen um, since the Chinese New Year holiday, we've seen markets rebounded the mainland. The CSI 300 is now up uh, for the year. Um, In fact, do you get the feeling that maybe the worst is behind us and and a bottom is in for Chinese stock markets?
3: I mean, I certainly think that the bump we've seen is is in large part a result of of investors looking at the market and saying, well, there's no possible way it can get worse than it is right now, <laughs> so maybe now's the time to start putting money back in. <laughs> um, I mean, I think if we get really bad news uh, out of the discussions this week, then, uh, we could see markets um, dropping again to the the lows that we were seeing before. Um, but having said that, I mean, I think that, you know, for a lot of these, these companies, the fundamentals are reasonably good. There's still a path to growth. It just isn't the same high-risk, high-reward growth we had 10 years ago. Um, so it probably is a good time to be – slowly, carefully uh, getting money back into the market here.
0: And how much of the rebound has been down to the national team, China's sovereign wealth fund, and uh, intervening directly in the market, buying ETFs, buying stocks, and the regulators ordering long-only funds not to sell stocks, and certainly not to sell them short? How much has that been responsible for this rally?
3: Oh, I mean, it's it certainly plays a part. I mean, it, it always does play a part to some degree. But there, there certainly has been a directive saying that we, we, you know, we want things to be stable. We want to restore faith in business in China and in the business community. And so, we're we're going to be supporting share prices. Um, and I think that's you know, it's that's always been the case in China. Um, but I do think that you know, fundamentally, things probably aren't going to get too much worse. You know, we've had a couple of uh, very s- slow years coming back. Things are still slow, but but broadly, they're trending in the right direction.
0: And there's been a lot of focus on quant funds and their role in this sell-off. And the regulators seem to be blaming them uh, for, for the downturn and really restricting their activities. In fact, clamping down on them completely. They've been told to withdraw investment products and shut down their strategies. Is that fair? Were they responsible for the downturn? Or did they have a part to play in it?
3: I mean, I, I I don't know. I'm I'm probably the the wrong person to ask, just because I have a general dislike of quant funds, anyway. Um, n- not because they're you know fundamentally bad, but I just I just think the you know the way that they are moving the market and making their trades, you know, especially if if some algorithms are written the wrong way, can lead to you know very fast runs that aren't really based on fundamentals, but are based purely on. Uh, measuring momentum. Um, So, in that sense, I can understand where the government is coming from, but I'm not sure that complete restriction of their activity is is really fair either.
0: It it seems really, doesn't it, that what the regulators are saying at the moment is that anything that is likely to produce volatility, they're going to clamp down on. They just do not want to see volatility of any sort from anywhere. They want to have a stable market at the moment.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key, you know, stable government, stable market, no surprises, uh, you know, take take one problem at a time and, and kind of slowly move things in the right direction. I think that's what everybody wants right now. Of course, the economy is more complicated than that. So you can't, you know, treat anything as a single issue. And I think that's the, that's the challenge is how interlocked so many of these problems are. Um, and, and that's why I think it, it may be challenging for them to hit their numbers this year.
0: Ben, thank you very much indeed. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. That's Ben Carinder, who is Managing Director at the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. You're listening to Peter
3: Lewis's Money Talk. Money.
0: Talk. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves in my daily newsletter. Please, please take a look at Peter Lewis, moneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBP, Christopher Lee, Partner at Faron Augustine and Alexander Investments, and our US Economics Correspondent, Writer and Broadcaster, Barry Woods. See you tomorrow. Money. Talk.